Hello and welcome to Previously On, a difficulty class podcast where we relax and talk about all the kick-ass games we're a part of. I'm one of your storytellers, Trevor Bettis, and with me this week is... Allie Deitchman. That's right, and before we get uh, into the, uh, the, the the rigmarole of storytelling and whatnot, just wanted to quickly give a shout out uh, to uh, uh, Sirenscape. I do it at the end of the other episodes, but I just want to say real quick up in front, if you've been enjoying the music and sound effects that have been going on with this show, please go check out Sirenscape. I've had an absolute blast going through and finding all of the cool sound effects and whatnot, especially since they have some for the pre-made games. So when I'm talking about Baldur's Gate Descent into a Avernus, that is the Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus background noise. If you want that for your <laughs> game, go check them out. It, it, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um. So, uh, where, where, where do we want to start? Who wants to go first? Uh, I can. I, I okay. was in a couple of games this week. It was rather fun. All right. <laughs> um. So, I think I'll start with uh, the Boats campaign. Um. Boats, it's boats, it's not boats. yeah it's not my campaign <laughs> i am just a humble player in said campaign <gasps> uh my, my buddy God. yeah my buddy marcos runs it um we actually stream it over to on twitch so if you're ever interested keep an eye out on my uh twitter i always post links whenever we do stream it but um marcos does it over at a what is it I know how to shout out Twitch. It's like twitch.tv twitch slash missing novice. His, his name is missing novice, essentially. <laughs> Eventually. Yeah, that's I'll... the first time we've ever done like a twitch.tv yeah. shout out before. I don't, I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't weird. know how to shout out Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we stream our game on there. Uh, last session was session 7.2 and <laughs> Uh, where essentially it takes place in Wildmount. However, it's called Boats because it's mostly on the waters of Wildmount, <laughs> not necessarily on the land. Um, I play a wonderful dragonborn paladin uh, whose name is Misha. She is a hoarder and she is also the boatswain of our little ship. And it's it's pretty great. Um We've got a Captain Valentine. Um, he's a he's a uh, blade song wizard. We've got a swashbuckler rogue, uh, Veronica. She is very French, and her <laughs> she keeps up the accent the entire goddamn time. And I'm so just Taylor always gets me in awe whenever she does shit like that. <laughs> um, and then we have uh, Kale. I think his his full name is like Kaleden or something like that, but we we call him Kale Chip. Uh, he's a druid. <laughs> <laughs> he's a pallet elf druid and he he tried to essentially leave his hometown and he fell in love with the sea so he kind of stuck around with us um so we've been kind of going around uh valentine and my character misha we've never we're from this original tiny little island that has never been discovered because it's been like magically isolated uh mm-hmm. until we finally got the technology to leave it and so we're the first ones from our island to leave in like thousands of years. And so we actually have no idea that what Wildmount is. Um, Kale and Veronica are both from Wildmount. And so they joined our little, our mini ship. And they're we're like, I'm, I'm essentially like an ambassador. Like I want to learn the area, but I also want to get paid. Uh <laughs> valentine his his goal is like well i heard that there's an airship and i want to make this an airship now and so it's it's a lot of fun Mm. um for context 
we have been going through visiting different ports, and uh, we recently stopped at Port Zune, um, which if you have the Wildmount book, it's like this really industrial area. It's pretty neat. Uh, we had just finished up dealing with some rogue elementals in the sewers when we came up to the surface to report that we handled it. The guards were like, hey, we've also gotten a report that some Sahuagin are over at these islands. And so we're like, well, if you know, if you want to uh, give us some money, we can go check it out. And so they agreed. So we, we went over to the Twinward Isles. Um, we researched it a little bit. And apparently, like, the Twinward Isles, it's kind of like a protected nature area. Uh, you're totally free to go to it. Like, nothing will actually physically stop you. But it is physically dangerous to, to boat there. <laughs> like, to, mm-hmm. um, to, to port there. Um there is like no beaches, it's all cliff. Uh, there's plenty of game and fruit on the island. And there's also stories of how there's like spirits on the islands that will grant like wishes or wisdom to those that seek it out. So these poor fishermen that are kind of just trying to get by these islands have been like accosted by Sahuagin the past like week and a half. And so we can't quite have that as the trade is going from uh Gosh, I don't remember. One of the other cities over to Port Zune is necessary, so they wanted us to check it out. We get there, and there's Sahawagan already attacking us from the cliff sides. We go up the cliffs, we make it through the jungle, and thanks to Kale picking out certain fauna and following the right squirrel to listen to, um, we're able to finally make it towards the other half of the island. It's called the Twinward Isles because there's two chunks of it, essentially. Mm-hmm. So we get past this rickety bridge to the other side and we end up in like, imagine a Tony Hawk pro skater, like half pipe. (laughs) And at the very end of it is like this, uh, like almost a, a a large door, um, pretty much. So you can't exit the half pipe once you get in it because it's all blocked off. Well, when we step in it, we notice that, hey, there's tread marks on the ground. Oh, there's a dead body that's, like, flattened. We're like, well, that's weird. And then that's when the door drops, and there's a large boulder that comes rolling down at us. <laughs> Indiana Jones style. <laughs> exactly. And we're like, oh, well, that's easy. We'll just, you know, move to the left. And then the boulder <laughs> moved to the left towards us. Um, it was an earth elemental that was rolling oh. its way towards us and determined to roll us over. Uh, so that was a crazy fight. It was a lot of fun, um, but we did eventually take it down and were able to get through. And after dealing with that Tony Hawk half pipe rant, like trap, we, we take a rest. Uh, we get back some of our health because at this point we're only like level five. Yeah, we're level five. So we are still like in the mode of we need to make sure that we're alive because we can't quite, if we die, there's no coming back right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Eventually, like night falls, we go to sleep, do our watches, and during the middle of the night, a uh, wasp attacks Kale during his watch. And Kale is a druid, and he always he has this ability to talk with animals just willingly. Whatever happens, he's like, "Hey, like," he always approaches an animal like, "Hey, friend." <laughs> mm-hmm. And so Marcos, our wonderful DM, was like, "The wasp responds to you." Not friend, only food, and it attacks you. <laughs> and so uh, we, we actually have a harrowing fight with the giant wasp, which was hilarious because we just came out of like Sahuagin and a giant earth elemental. And we're like, well, a giant wasp took us down, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> uh, 
Um, we handle the wasp. We eventually, eventually come across what must be the temple. Um, in this temple area, we see what must be like five Sahawagana at least. They're kind of scattered about. This temple itself is more like a actual ring of um, a walkway that's about like 50 feet above this giant pool beneath it. The pool itself, you can if you look down, you can see reef sharks are just kind of swimming in there, and it's like eh, this kind of this this given big. Uh, if any of you have seen Road to El Dorado, like <laughs> this, this the sacrifice pool where it's like oh yeah we chuck stuff in there and there you go it goes to another area. That's what this was given off, like to Shibalba. Um <laughs> and so we're like okay this is probably bad if you go down there simply because there's a lot of shark like reef sharks but also we don't know what's down there um so we launch an ambush onto these uh Zahawagan who's been as we can see from our position we can see they've been like sacrificing people over on the other side of this ring mm. and it's like both Sahuagan and like fishermen to boot so it's not just there's totally a lot of desecration happening with this temple here so we go around, we managed to take him down after quite a good fight. Um, there was, Kale was kind of probably the MVP of that because he did call lightning, which I did not realize how good of a spell that was. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I think it's because it's not really a, a, a class, like a class spell that we usually play with. And mm -hmm. so I always forget that that's a thing. Like, oh yeah, you just keep concentration. You can just send a lightning bolt every turn. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> um so kale really took out a lot of the zahawagan that were there but uh, eventually we fight and we win which was nice uh but we decided to try to clean up the uh kind of altar area that was uh that we assume at least is like the altar area to kind of you know give us some respect to the spirits that we've kind of had to wade through on our way to this particular uh spot on the twin Road isles and mm -hmm. um valentine he he senses that there's magic in this area. And so he kind of identifies the altar after he detects magic. And it's totally magical. In fact, it's like conjuration. Uh, essentially, he gets with the spell identify that if you offer up something of sentimental value, it will summon something to help. Ooh. So my uh, dragonborn paladin who's been collecting various knickknacks through this entire campaign quietly and very nearly ne close to tears brings out her sticky hand that she got from a gift shop at a museum five sessions ago and lays it on the <laughs> altar <laughs> and <laughs> it lights up and vanishes and out from the pool of water below comes this huge serpentine-like creature with large giant wings of feathers just floating behind it with a face very similar to a dragon's and it's a quaddle it's this huge celestial being and it oh kind of comes up and it says like her name is Habriel and she says you have provided an ample like uh what's the word when you give something up uh i don't know off the top of my head it's not a I, sacrifice yeah. but it's it's something along those lines an offering offering yeah she, she tells us you have provided an ample offering what is the question you wish to ask and i kind of oh. think okay um 
this kind of sounds a little weird out of context, but pretty much my character, our, our island that we originally came from, um, Arcus Ven, who's like this uh, prismatic dragon, he essentially came to this island to rest after the whole War of the Gods situation happened. And that's who we kind of worship on that island. And turns out, when I'm going through Wildmount, this Arcus Ven was kind of a dick. <laughs> he's he's not necessarily the godlike dragon creature that we know and love. He was under Tiamat's thumb. He uh, did a lot of bad things, and he is very much an evil kind of aligned deity, so to speak, if you're in Wildmount. And so I've been picking up on pieces and bits of kind of realizing throughout just researching my character, like... Arcus Ven wasn't at fault. Uh, one of the like evil vestiges of power that Tiamat had was this uh, essentially like, crown of thorns where it mind controlled someone. And so my character is like determined to, in order to bring her people into this world, there's no way that that can happen with Arcus Ven's name being that bad. So her question was like, where was it? Where did I write it? Yeah. How can I prove Arcus Ven's innocence? And Marcos was straight with me. He's like, okay, you just put a sticky hand on the altar. So she can't give you like a straightforward answer. Because <laughs> even <laughs> as you put the sticky hand down on the altar, you were thinking to yourself, I have other things on the ship. I'll be fine. I don't need to cry about this. It'll be okay. And so kind of the whole concept is more so reaching that losing the materialistic tendency instead mm -hmm. of just physically offering something. So she responds like, there are many plans, all equally difficult to attain. Uh, likely the most straightforward would be to restore him to his previous state. And I'm over here like, okay, taking notes, writing this down. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially I have to figure out how to get Arcus Ven healed and off our island if he's still there and so he can prove himself to be innocent somehow <laughs> so my character now has a goal nice <laughs> whereas before it was just kind of like you know go find what Wildmount is all about and now she's like well now I have to do something more than that mm -hmm. um, after that Val Untine gives up the uh, Rod of Retribution. It's the first magical item we got in this game, in this campaign. Uh, we even spent money to have it refitted with a different, like, symbol on the top. Because at first it was the symbol of, like, to Ukutua or whatever that guy's name is. Mm. So it was super evil, but then we paid money to have it reshaped and reformed. Um, and so he asks, straight up, Valentine's like, where can I get the plans to build an airship? <laughs> <laughs> and uh this quaddle tells us she's like the secret is heavily guarded um because it's not a well-known <laughs> thing she's like you're not alone though in seeking it um the, another person referred to as the archmage of industry plans to intercept blueprints that are currently in transit if you help her you will benefit and so he's like all right okay and so then kale approaches and he gives up his tea set, he gives up a little feather band, and, like, a health potion. They all glow in her and so he gets three questions. And so Kale's like, okay, well, he pulls out this key. 
It just seems like a, just a, a random key that it's like, well, where the hell did you get that from? He's had it on his person this whole time. She answers him, essentially telling him that is actually an anchor point for the real key. It's the infiltrator's key. When, oh. when the time is right, the two keys will swap places. And he tells, yeah, she tells him Elena created the anchor key in case she, c- for the time when she will get an opportunity to swap it, as the Cerberus Assembly is investigating the real key at this time. And so, Kale's like. Okay. <laughs> so his next question, well, where's Elena? And the Quaddle tells him straight up, she's at the Solstreis uh, Academy in Rexentrum. He's like, all right. And well, what does the Severus Assembly want with the key? And she answers, they have interest in magical artifacts, and as a vestige of divergence, the key has the power to grant its user access to anywhere they want so we're all kind of like looking at each other like what (laughs) (laughs) Val approaches again he's like kind of starting to understand the scope that he can ask these kind of questions and he uh, brings up a weathered piece of paper and it actually kind of looks like a child's drawing of a family it glows and it's accepted Uh, we didn't know this but afterwards uh, Robert told us that yeah, that was essentially one of the few things he has left to remind him of his parents Ooh. as as he's an elf. Like, his parents are long gone. Yeah. And he says... <laughs> now this man, he's a wizard. <laughs> so he says, where is the Grimoire Infinitus? Oh, Jesus. This is like artifact power level shit. Yeah. And she tells him, the book you seek was once held by another wizard. It was in the vault of the Cobalt Soul in Draconia. It was there in secret when the city fell, and there it still is. And so now we all kind of look at each other, putting pieces together. It's in this vault that's never been broken into. This guy has a possible soon-to-be key that can break into anything. The only time we can get that key is when she gets a chance to transpose it. And we're like, okay, well, how are we going to get in there? Because that's all, all that stuff is inland. Well, we learned about how to get an airship blueprint. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like looking at Marcos, our DM, like, man, you're giving us a shit ton of plot points. He's like, yeah, I know. I didn't really think that through. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, so we're like, okay, well, that's that's pretty cool. Um, and then Daphne, uh, she's an NPC. Uh, she approaches the uh, altar and she places a pocket watch on there. It glows and it's accepted. She asks, like, the service assembly is collecting items. Uh, how many arms of the betrayers are in their possession? That's when... The Quaddle tells us they have the Blade of Broken Mirrors, the Tome of Truth Keepers, and the Infiltrator's Key, and the Wreath of the Prism. And we're thinking, okay, well, that's interesting, because we know for sure earlier in the campaign that the uh, Five-Headed Whip was also given to them, but she didn't name that. Hmm. And 
for context, the the other NPC we're with is a professional forger. He and his buddy run a museum in Port Zune that's a forgery museum. And he did drop off the five-headed whip to the Cerberus Assembly. We saw it happen physically. We, we saw it. Mm-hmm. But she says they don't have it. So did he actually drop it off? <laughs> oh, interesting. So we're like, okay, that's a thing we need to talk to him about. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, we're, we thank the Quaddle for her time, essentially. And she tells us if we wish to free ourselves of more possessions, we can find her here. So we're like, okay, thanks. So we go off. We uh, pretty much take like a trident from one of the Sahawagan as proof that we took down these guys and we bring it back to the ship. We travel for a day. Um, let's see. Eventually we make it back to the boat and we make it back to Port Zoon after a few more days. Uh, we consider what's next. Uh, considering everything that we just kind of f- all those plot points. Um mm-hmm. We kind of got a bigger picture of what these certain artifacts do. So, like, the wreath can control creatures. This is supposedly the wreath that um, controlled, like, Art- Artis Ven, the dragon that I'm trying to prove innocent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is the key, which can turn into a dagger and make its user invisible. That's just a small side effect of it. Um, there is the glass blade itself is sentient and powerful. When you kill a humanoid, the blade remembers the person and you can turn into that person. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And so we're like, oh, that's that's a little terrifying. Um, but considering we're at the museum, we're, we're like, OK, well, let's let's take a let's take a closer look at the five headed whip that's in this museum. And after taking a close look at it, it's 100% the real one behind that glass case. (laughs) So that's where we ended it, the session for our boats campaign was with with that in A lot of plot points there. A lot lot of plot points. (laughs) I know going into this this, uh, podcast, it's like I I have never explained these characters before. I I brought them up a few times in the regular podcast, but... Yeah, that, that's a good that, tease to go to go watch that Twitch stream. <laughs> yeah, uh, Marcos is doing great as a DM. He's he. It's a lot of fun in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely recommend going check it out. So the next game, <laughs> um, Neverwinter. Uh, so for context, they had just found out the mimic, and they just found out that uh, one of the kings was actually a doppelganger. Yeah, that's um, right, doppelganger. Yeah, and. So they saved King Nurkley, and they're essentially rewarded uh, with whatever the gnome colony could off like could afford. Uh, they mm-hmm. get like a wand of pyrotechnics, a clockwork amulet, which is a really cool little minor item, by the way, because it's uh, it's pretty much an artifact of Mechanus, to where if before rolling a d20 on an attack roll, you could forego rolling entirely and just to take a ten. Hmm. And that's like a once per day thing. And you don't have to be attuned to it. You can just take a 10. Nice. And I'm like, I really like that because at level 16, that's basically a guaranteed hit. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like that little outfit. Um, They also get this uh, rope of climbing up, which was a, 
which was a prototype that Dabbledob made before she got her actual rope of climbing that she made. Mm -hmm. Um, This rope will never go down. You can't toss it over something and have it fall down. You can't climb down it. It will always do the acme, like go over the edge, look down, climb back over to you and and coil back up. (laughs) It will only ever climb up. (laughs) All right. So I'm like, okay, my fr- the, the players were like, oh, that's fun. Um, but essentially, the King Nurkly thanks them profusely. Uh, he offers them any shelter and food they need, and he's much more gracious than the previous uh, non-king was. And they're like, well, thank you. This is a huge turnaround. <laughs> <laughs> there was this cute moment where they're like, well, let's finally raid those uh, pantry that we were told to vehemently avoid last time. And so <laughs> these rock gnomes are actually like proficient chefs using these really weird mushrooms there's purple green and like yellow mushrooms and uh there's a lot of like (laughs) gnome chefs that specialize in the bread itself so i was like having a lot of fun describing that like tell me if this sounds appetizing the bread itself the texture is both very dry but also in some pockets very wet and moist and as you hold it in your hand you can Mm. feel the pockets as it sits there um and when you take a bite into it it's very sour, uh, similar akin to sourdough. However, as you bite, the texture between the wet parts and the dry parts intermingle, and it's not great at all. Mm, no. <laughs> yeah. So that was like, oh, we don't like that. But I'm like, however, there is also cheese on this plate. And they're like, oh, God, <laughs> you don't recall mm. seeing a cow within anywhere near this area. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no. <laughs> Like the, the cheese has like some blue bits on it that you don't know what it is. Um, it's certainly not mold because you've seen blue cheese before. So you don't know what it is. But your friend Dabbledob takes a piece of bread, uses it like a claw and grabs a hunk of cheese with it. And she takes a bite of the cheese and the bread together. And she is content. She is happy with that bite. <laughs> so Roland, the brave soul, he does exactly that. And, and I told him, I was describing him like, as you're holding it in your hand, you feel the bread get drier and like softer at the same time like as if it turned into like almost a the texture of cake he's like huh Mm. and it's like and as you unfold the the piece of bread with the crumbly cheese it actually softened the bread the the cheese itself kind of almost turned into like a butter texture and as you bite into it you get all these different flavors that combined are really good but you can only imagine because you smelled it going in it would be really bad by itself (laughs) <laughs> and so it was a great moment for storytelling from my end i was just like this yeah. was fun to make up <laughs> i love it um so they go to sleep the next day uh twyla uses control weather to essentially get rid of the ever-growing blizzard that's outside uh and they trek for like another 20 or so miles and this time they're starting to head up uh the mountain towards Spire peak uh, I, I will say as a DM, I attempted to do the whole like, oh, do a survival check, please. Um, looking at the at the uh, trekking up the mountain, uh, new guidelines that they have in the ice, mm-hmm. Icewind Dale book. And it's like DC 15. I'm like, oh, that's, that's a pretty difficult. But then Saphir, who's a rogue, <laughs> who's proficient in survival. Yeah. He is like, oh, I got a plus 14. I'm like, oh, so I'm looking for a nat one. He's like, yeah, but I'm also proficient in it which means the minimum I can get is a 24. 
I'm like, you son of a bitch. Jesus. <laughs> you guys will never fail this mountain trek. But that's simply because he's that good of a character where he's like, I've been up a mountain before. I know how to do this. Time, uh, time for an avalanche. <laughs> Funny thing. I did mention they heard rumblings kind of both to the left and right, but never quite above them as uh, Saphir did notice it, but wasn't quite aware of that's what he was avoiding. So okay. it's like his survival instinct kicked in without him really noticing it, as I mm -hmm. described it to him. <laughs> um, they essentially rest in the middle of the mountain uh, in a cave that Saphir manages to find. It's unoccupied, thankfully. Twyla summons the magnificent mansion, and it's, it's reminiscent of their home back in Neverwinter. There's the hearth, there's the dining table, the dad chair, and... They, they there's tea already on the dining table and they, they relax and they're able to have like a nice night in um in the morning there was this great moment where uh taylor the who plays twilight was like guys can i make a spell <laughs> and we're like well what kind of spell she's like okay so i wrote these letters but i realized how the fuck am i gonna send them like is there like a spell like sending but with physical objects and I'm like, I, th I, I mean, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> She's like, it could be even specific. Like if I could just send a letter and like, and she was getting really into it. And I love the idea that she came up with. Cause essentially, you know, uh, Jim's, uh, magic missile where essentially yeah. a component is money that you have to spend and it goes yeah. to him. She, she's like, like, it would be really neat if you paid like a gold and it was like a fifth or sixth level spell and it sends a letter anywhere in the multi-planes to whoever you need it to go to and it will always go to that person and like the gold will be like a stamp <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like that's amazing and we had a moment as like dm and players it's like um twyla her her end game uh not necessarily in this campaign but as a character is to eventually become a god yeah and i'm like that would be so cool because your domain could be communications and she's like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So like a domain of communication of not just like talking with another person, but also like have keeping connection. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's that's a really neat thing. And that's something that another god doesn't overlap. So it's totally doable. And so we got a little excited about that kind of like idea moment right there. Mm -hmm. um, but they eventually climb up the mountain after, of course, Twyla... Uh, sets the weather with control weather to like hallmark Christmas movie standards um, <laughs> as opposed to raging blizzard that's unbearable and you eventually get to the peak and the air is thin they are very cold and the entrance to the mine is just ahead of them it was once a hub for like um, essentially like a hiking camp so you can you can get there if you reach the top of the peak and relax and then you can go back down or also it's an area for all the miners that would work there mm -hmm. however it's abandoned it's totally still aside from the wind and the snow and it's just quiet the gang goes inside the mine uh, they do notice that the flooring itself seems to be uh not attended to so there are icy parts that are both like it's like black ice where you can't see it and it's very slippery um and there's also like 
jagged spikes of ice. So it's not like crunchy ice that you can just step on. It's like actual spikes. <laughs> and they imagine it's something like stalagmites and stalactites kind of situation. As they go in further into the mine, they actually hear the sounds of mining coming from ahead, very nearly masking their footsteps. Um, I will note here the Pegasus had a trouble uh, keeping quiet. However, because of the amount of noise in the mine already, they were able to stay stealthy. Okay. They managed to sneak up in this area and Saphir goes invisible and sees ahead that there are several cultists and a couple of uh, ambush drakes waiting for them, essentially. How these cultists are busy mining. The group quickly comes up with a, a plan. Um, they're Saphir is going to handle the one drake that's on the lower level while everyone kites around and goes in from behind while Saphir comes from the front. They're going to ambush these cultists. And so eventually they ambush them, they fight, and they win. And there's this mechanic that I put into this mine dungeon where for each group of people that they take down, the harder mm -hmm. it is to be uh, to stealth. So, like, oh, okay. their starting DC for a little behind-the-screen moment was five. <laughs> they had to beat a five. The Pegasus got a six. <laughs> <laughs> and so, because they took down this group, the next DC is going to be, like, ten. And if they take mm. down another group, the mine itself starts getting quieter and quieter because there's less people mining. And so, they stopped their... We, we, we stopped there for the game. That's where we ended it when they finished um, that fight. And they just know that they're going into a large fight ahead of them because they already realized the last time we took down a dragon, like the first time we took down an ancient dragon, we had help. We had giants at our back. We had uh, NPCs. The second time we took down an ancient dragon, we had a healer. We had another wizard on our side. We had so much help. We're going against this ancient dragon and we're down a person. <laughs> mm. And they're realizing we're not just down a person, we're down a healer. Oh boy. And so they're starting to like worry <laughs> about this. And as a DM, that gets me a little excited because I'm like, okay. Oh yeah. Maybe I'm doing this a little bit right if they're actually terrified of an ancient dragon now. <laughs> <laughs> that is the goal. Yeah. Um, but th those are the games that I played in this week and, and ran. <laughs> All right. Tell you what, we'll, we'll, we'll give your voice a break because we're going to talk about our Pathfinder game also, which you are the note taker on. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'll talk about my game here, then we'll go into the Pathfinder game after yeah, that. Yeah, I'm going to take a picture uh, of all these notebooks and post it because it's... Please do. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> it, it, it looks like a, 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 a stationary person's dream. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, hell, going great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Big man. Um, so I was actually uh, down half my group on uh on our play game mm. our, i don't know why i said play game or on our day um yeah we uh the, we, we were missing three people so i only had three people uh, uh available to play and i was like it, it was funny because i i was dumb i'm i'm so bad with schedules sometimes like my sister told me she couldn't make it and i still text her i was like hey where are you she's like i'm at work dummy i'm just like god damn it <laughs> so, so I, I was like oh we got four players we're fine and then i get there with everybody i'm like oh shoot we have three. Oh, okay um and i thought about it and i was like you know what? it's fine we're just gonna play it like this because it was already gonna be kind of 
more of a, a, a an information discovery sort of thing. So I'm like, three players is fine. Um, so yeah, they, they picked up Wit last time. Yeah. And um, he explained that the Mercy Killer showed up because, you know, he is a, you know, trans-dimensional immortal being inside of a mind flayer that's a elf inside. It's a, it's weird. And, you know, <laughs> the Dagri's got the Ferlangan um, uh, amulet. So he's like, I think us being near each other, since they're both looking for elements of this, it just kind of sparked off whatever tracking spells they've got. So we need to not be near each other. So they've been wanting to go to this freaking uh, crashed flying fortress since they first looked at the map. They're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And I'm like, well, I mean, there's a whole city of people you need to save. And they're like, but, 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 but we could turn it into a tavern. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, Daggery suggests um, Wit hideout there. So they, they go, they finally go to the flying fortress. This thing crashed is literal half of this freaking thing is stuck in the ground oh like i kind of imagined them like smash cutting from like yeah we finally get to get ourselves a flying fortress they get there and it's just in ruins there's holes in it everywhere there's like <laughs> vultures swooping around the top and uh and what's just like i uh i don't think it's gonna fly again uh <laughs> <laughs> so they uh they, uh, ha I, I had it that half the group stayed there to help him, you know, set everything up while Dagri, Mercaeus, and Cesar go and check out the, the place that Wit knows about. Because, again, their whole point in talking to Wit was to find out where the Bleeding Citadel is, which has the Sword of Zariel in it. Mm -hmm. So, um, he's like, okay, I don't know exactly where it is, but I do know someone who does. I know of someone who does. Uh, this man named Olanthius. Uh, he was one of Zariel's generals when they invaded uh, Avernus and all of that Ooh. stuff, and he's been turned into a death knight, and he protects the crypt of the Hellriders, the place, the last resting place of everyone who f stayed and fought alongside Zariel. Mm -hmm. Again, Kyle's character, Marcaeus, is a current Hellrider. He he was he was in Eltriel fighting for their beliefs and all that good stuff. So they take off in the war machine, and they're, they're going along, and uh, they get to the crypt of the Hellriders, which is, uh, we, we, we ended up just calling it a cairn because that's essentially what it was. It's this large hill that has two obelisks sticking out of it, and the crypt itself is in that hill. Okay. On the walk up to that hill are, what I read later was dozens, but I, I accidentally said hundreds, so it became hundreds. <laughs> Again, we talked about it yesterday. Semantics. Just change stuff. <laughs> Whatever. But there so I had the, there's hundreds of these uh suits of armor of hell riders all kneeling towards the cairn with their swords in the ground and their heads on the the pommel of their swords. They look in, there's corpses in them. Ooh. Yeah. So uh Daggery be you know, he's like, I'm a cleric. I got to speak with dead. Speak with some dead. So they got some info before going in there and basically learned um, because they, they were seeing the death knight thing as a promotion. Like, oh, you get to become a death knight now. And so at one point they asked, why was Olanthius promoted? And the, the corpse went, not promoted. Ooh. Punished. Ooh. 
<laughs> and um, and so they were like, oh shit. Um, and then I can't remember what other question they asked. They asked one question. Uh, the, the first question Kyle asked, I'm like, I'm not gonna fuck with you. Rephrase that because it's gonna be vague. So he did. Then like the third question he asked, one, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna fuck with you on this one because you, you you didn't learn your lesson. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they go in there. So essentially, how this how this was supposed to go was that if you disturb anything in this crypt, the spirits of the Hellriders come out and talk to them. And that's kind of how they're supposed to get their first piece of information. There's also some areas where there's caskets and there's healthy roses on them. And if you pick it up, a wraith comes out and fucks you up. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, But here's the thing. These three walked around like little kids in an expensive store and their mom told them to put their hands in their pockets. <laughs> These fuckers didn't touch shit. <laughs> they didn't touch one fucking thing it's a good rule. um yeah yeah um so and and uh, like we talked about yesterday with the with the whole darkness thing like i went in there and i was just like oh it's very dark and immediately cesar was like i take a ball bearing out of my pouch put light on it and we're just gonna go around like that i'm like cool and i never talked about darkness again <laughs> <laughs> handled moving um, on <laughs> yeah handled so they essentially do a walking tour of a dungeon crawl <laughs> because they didn't touch anything. Yeah. Um, but so at this point, so so just just so you listeners know, I don't know if I've made this clear. We play for two hours. Yeah. Like it is a crisp two hours. We start at seven, we end at nine. That's it. Um, so at this point, I'm looking at the the clock and I'm like, okay, they've been walking around here and doing so much stuff. Like we don't have as much time and I uh, to to get through all of this if they do certain things. So they went into a room that had mummies. Ooh. Um, it was supposed to be that these were the warlocks of Zariel and uh, they're, they're mummies now and they're, they're all nasty and whatnot. Um, and so I was just like, all right, you know what? Screw it. We're going to do some combat. You know, it's going to take up a lot of time and I'll have to figure out how to get the other group here next time, whatever. So eight mummies come out mm. two level, uh, two level eight players and one level 11 player. And Dagri rolled an amazing initiative, and it comes to his turn, and I'm like, oh, shit. This dude loves throwing fireballs. Everyone here loves throwing fireballs. <laughs> One of these mummies has a necklace of fireballs on them. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm just like, what am I going to do if he does that? Instead, he gives me the best answer possible. He takes out his holy symbol and he turns undead. He has literally never used that ability in the entirety of our game. Oh my God, you gotta love that. And I was like, hold on, give me a moment. And I counted out the squares and they could make it all the way out of the crypt. And there's a thing in the book that's like, hey, after a certain amount of time passes, the doors close. <gasps> and so I was just like, you know what? I love this. I was just like, the mummies run out and the doors close behind them. Holy shit, that's so awesome. And everyone was cheering. I was just like, that's freaking great. I loved it. And I was just like, hey, this is this is a great thing. Because like, they weren't interested in doing a combat at that time. I wasn't interested in doing a combat at that time. And instead, a really cool, fun thing happened. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of people out there right now are just like, you skipped a combat. I'm like, yeah, but that's what we wanted to do. Um, so they keep exploring in, and Dagri being a dwarf and with a very high passive perception found some secret rooms 
And in these secret rooms, there was a thick mist that hung over the floor that um, they eventually worked up the courage to walk into. Spooky. Uh, yeah. And under the mist was uh, a ritual symbol drawn in blood. And yeah. there were, on each of them, because there were two separate rooms, in each of them, there were hundreds of small slivers of parchment. And each one of them had a name written in blood on them. Oh. And Kyle's character, Marcaeus, picked up one of them and recognized uh, it as a old uh, Hellrider. Oh, I actually want to mention this real quick. To get into this crypt, the doors were closed and sealed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the it, it says in the book the only way for uh, them to get in is to speak the words for glory. Now, I skipped the part where that was supposed to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Where, where they were supposed to find out that information. Some nasty demon man was supposed to like, oh yeah, by the way, when you go to the crypt, it's, it's safe for glory. Which was also <laughs> kind of blasé in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when they were up there, uh, I had Marcaeus do a wisdom check. And he literally hit the DCI it set. And because I, I had it instead that written on the top of the doors, it said, why do we ride? And he uh, and I had him remember that when uh, that in the history books, before uh, Zariel led the charge into Avernus, she turned to her troops, raised her sword, and yelled, "Why do we ride?" And they answered, "For glory." Oh shit! Yeah, and the cool thing is, is that if Marcaeus wasn't there, or anything they could just go speak with Dead with one of the things out there and find out. Mm-hmm. So it, it worked out. Um, but anywho, that that become that becomes important later. Um, so they find these ritual spots. They end up checking out the entirety of the dungeon except for one spot. So they go there. And they're all just like, we haven't seen Olanthius. Who the fuck is this death knight? He's supposed <laughs> to be protecting this place. He ain't fucking here. We even have a, so, a lovely walk through his domain. They did. Oh, <laughs> my favorite thing is the way. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll, actually, I'll get to that because they haven't done that yet. Uh, so they get to this last room and there are four can't remember the word for it so we're just gonna say slabs there's giant slabs there and all and on it has all of the names again Ooh. and behind that is a uh is a mural of zariel as an angel with a blindfold on her sword raised high riding a mammoth with wings <gasps> and all of them go is that is that fucking lulu <laughs> <laughs> um and once again, Dagri found another secret uh, door. So they go in and they find some journals and they're from Elanthius and they find out that Elanthius um, did not agree with what, uh, with the, with what Zariel did because she turned. She was so, she wanted to kill demons so bad that she accepted, um, uh, 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 oh my God, Asmodeus's help. Yeah, a contract. And, <laughs> yeah. And so instead of damnation, he killed himself. Mm-hmm. And as a response to that, Zariel turned him into a death knight to constantly watch over the souls of the uh, soldiers that did help. Um, so they start putting together what's going on. Some arcana checks are rolled, some investigations done. It turns out that these slabs have necrotic energy protecting them. And Cesar puts it together that Okay, this is holding these the the spirits here. Oh yeah, uh, Marcaeus did divine sense and sensed 
hundreds and hundreds of spirits locked to this place in oh. a massive uh, earning, uh, yearning to leave. So they figured out that these slabs and those ritual things are connected and by getting rid of the ritual uh, circles, we'll get rid of the necrotic energy, which they uh, then have to chisel off each name to release them. Oh, shit. So they go back to the ritual rooms and in the most golden pals way possible, Daggery's like, I'm going to cast Flame Sphere and walk it like a dog to the other one. <laughs> <laughs> so he casts Flame Sphere, just it rolls around, destroys the 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 blood and the the parchments and then he like like a kid with an RC car just walks it out of there <laughs> and follows it to the next room and does the same thing. We counted out the squares to make sure he could. Um so now they go back to the original room and now when they go in there it is lit up with this blue light of spirits. Oh. Hundreds of hell riders stand along the room. Uh even some of them like some of them they assumed were outside of the room because some were standing halfway through the wall and not. Mm-hmm. So th- all of the spirits locked here were standing there in that room and in the middle in front of the slabs was Alantheus. And at this point, he, he says some things, goes to reach for his sword, and uh, Cesar says his name, which makes him stop and say, and ask how he knows that. And essentially just starts spilling out info, and Cesar is just like, hey, we are trying to get the sword of Zariel. We're trying to stop this. We want to release these people from here. They don't want to be here anymore, just like how we don't think you want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um. And he asks, what will you do with the sword? Daggery says, uh, we're going to kill Zariel. But Marcaeus says, I want to save her with it. <gasps> and um, oh, my and RPG he, heart. <laughs> and Elantheus looks at the Hellrider, um, or he lo- looks at Marcaeus. And I'm trying to remember exactly uh, how it went. Uh, he said, uh, Elantheus uh, said, you will do this. And Marcaeus looks back at him and says, for glory. You can't write that shit, and I was man. Just like, I know. I was like, oh, shit. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was over here behind the screen just like, ah, I love it. <laughs> that's so um, good. And so Elantheus lowered his hand from his weapon, stepped aside, and all three of them set to work because, you know, Daggery's a dwarf. He's got the, the work. And individually one by one chiseled out every name on the slabs and with each name being struck out there was this sigh of relief and then they could see the spirit rise up and then poof away being released wow um and so lantheus after they do that says i know where the bleeding citadel is but if you're going to go there you're going to need to distract Zariel. And this is where I realized I screwed up. I teased this yesterday on Difficulty Class. I had been making it sound like Zariel didn't know where the sword is. Oh. I'm pretty sure she does. And so I just quickly made it up. It's like, yeah, if you go there, she's going to know where it is because no one goes there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'll be able to track you there, especially you being a hell rider and you uh, having tried to swear yourself to her army. Yeah. Um, so I, cu- I quickly covered that up. Nice. But they, so they now need to go to 
um, this demon whose name I'm not going to try to repeat because I butcher it every time. But he's a, he, he, he's a demon lord that Zariel locked in a chasm, at the bottom of a chasm, and took his hammer. Oh. So he says, you go unleash him. Tell him that Zariel has his hammer. I will join him in the fight. Uh, and I will tell you where the bleeding citadel is and we will distract uh, her while you go get it. So that's where we're at now. <laughs> that's nice. where we stopped it for the night. Uh, I love and it. I, it, it was an absolute blast. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. But we also had a Pathfinder game. Yeah, we did. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm ready. Let's let's do it. I, I'm going to say this ahead of time, listeners. This is one of the most fun games I had with Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Yes, I know my GM listens to this. Yes, I'm not expecting her to do anything. Would it be cool? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you want to throw some like extra experience points my way, you know, whatever. That's fine. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but no, seriously, seriously. This was one of the most fun games I had with Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, everything that played out the way it did, it just felt cool. It felt heroic. I loved it. So, let's see, where to start? Uh, For context reasons, we are trying to gain the respect of the, uh, let's see, what are they, what are they called? The the Sun Shamans. Sun Shamans, there we go. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the possible ways to gain the respect is to find the Thrall Keeper's uh, mark. Um, And it's there's another way too, but I'll get to that one later. <laughs> so, we do get to the Acropolis where the Thrallkeeper's Mark is supposedly at. Um, above ground, what remains of the Apocalypse is a tower adorned with a seven pointed star, a symbol of the rune goddess Lazala. A large set of double doors leads inside. Uh, stairs lead to a large room that's empty, except for essentially dust covered floor. The air itself seems oddly cool, and the walls are covered, uh, are curved to support the curved ceiling itself. There's a, like, five-foot balcony further in the room that is overlooking dark pools of water. There are two large doors to the north and east, and two small doors closer to the uh, side of the room where we entered. And all four doors have uh, the seven-pointed star adorned on them. So, first, because I'm me, we go left. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We go to the door to our immediate left, and it actually leads to a narrow hall with essentially one-way windows looking out into the pool area. Um, At the other end of this hallway is another door. Opening that door is leads to a shrine of sorts. Uh, there is a large statue of a woman uh, with six wings and a serpentine lower half. Uh, the snake half is dotted with jewels and kind of to mimic the look of scales. And the statue, however, is dilapidated and crumbling. Uh, it's a statue of Krushu, the Undying, the Herald of Lazala. So, because... I'm like, okay, we still have to figure out what the mark is. Let's not fuck with the statue. We'll deal with it on the way back. We carry on. She's just trying to go steal the jewels as she's saying that and goes, all right, all right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, We go through another door uh, and it's another hallway with the one-way window situation and another door at the end of that one. Uh, We go through and 
It's another hallway. You're, this is going to be a familiar theme, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, what we ended up realizing is that there that this pool room mm-hmm. in that in the middle had uh, two way or one way mirrors going along uh, the east and west and north walls, as if to observe something. Yeah. Um, and both the left and right side of these pools mirrored each other. So, like the hallway that we just went through on the left is the same as the hallway on the right um, with However, a little bit of a difference there's... that we'll talk about later. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, in this large hallway that we came to, which is essentially the other side of that pool room, um, there is a double door and essentially the other side of the, the, the other hallway that we could have gone through if you went right instead of left. Mm-hmm. Uh, the double doors uh, happen to lead into a small room with a uh, essentially a relief on it that has several runes upon them. In this room also is like several skeletons and dead people in there. Um, Always a good sign. Yeah, you know. And so we're like, oh, this is uh, shifty. Um, but while Badgerback uh, gets to work on looking at the runes, um, I'm still in the one-way mirror area because that's simply what room would allow for. Yeah. <laughs> and so I actually spot uh, Crojan and his gang essentially entering the main room with the pool. Um, Crojan, if you don't remember, he's the man that did the uh, tug of war contest essentially with Ted, uh, the man that doesn't mm-hmm. respect us, the man that doesn't uh, trust us because we're outsiders, all that good stuff. So he's entering the main room. Uh, I tell the gang about this situation update as he and his gang enters the opposite hallway that I'm currently in. Um, back in the statue room, Badgerback tries to decipher the runes, but he feels like he can't decipher it. So, Sharondel gives it a go. So, Sharondel feels like he could decipher it. it. Yeah, but it'll take him like 15 or so minutes. Maybe an hour. Maybe he just needs to keep at it. But he feels like he will. He just needs some time. (laughs) Um, meanwhile, Keisha, invisible, goes through the other side. Um, she goes past the other doors. Uh, she finds another statue similar to Krushu, uh, though this one has its arms crossed over their chest and is holding a golden quill and a jade whip in her hands. Which she promptly stole. Yes. Um, instead of a uh, female head upon the statue, it's actually essentially a plate with the seven-pointed star uh, imprinted upon it. So uh, other no head, light. symbol. <laughs> Other Stormlight archive readers will understand why I freaked out in that moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, during this whole situation, uh, my character grows kind of impatient and decides to confront Crojan just straight up. Because if he wanted to murder us, he would have done so in the desert when we were resting. But he didn't. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to ask him. So there's this moment where I like message him, open the door, and just look him in the eye. What you doing here, dude? And... <laughs> He essentially tells us that he doesn't trust us to do this trial without cheating. I pretty much tell him, like, you know what? You can stay if you want to watch, if you wish. Um, We have no problem with that. And so I pretty much just make it well known for everyone that I can. I kind of shout for Ted, telling him, hey, your your tug of war buddy is here. And I head over towards Sharondell to figure out why the fuck we've been here for 10 minutes. I did love when, uh, when he was like, 
oh, I, I don't trust you guys not to cheat. And literally all of the players just went, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, my exact reaction in character was, dude, if we could have cheated, we would have by now. <laughs> and I remember three people were like, you're not supposed to say that. And I'm like, I don't <laughs> care. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, but yeah, so she was just being honest. Like, yeah, no, if we could have cheated, we would have done that by now. But we, we just can't. We have to do this the right way. Um, so Victoria, my character, she goes up to, to see what the hell's going on with Sharondell because he's been at this for a while. This man, this elf, he is totally engrossed in attempting to decipher these runes. Um, I smell the fishy magic going on, and I attempt to dispel the magic on the statue, and he immediately snaps out of it. Apparently, it was a trap of suggestion, and it would keep people there for days trying to decipher mm -hmm. these runes. Which explains, you know, the casual skeletons we see in this room. So we gather together, essentially, and I kind of sum up everything. That's when Keisha is there as well. Yeah. <laughs> Invisible as always. And we're like, okay, cool. So we decide to carry on. Keisha tells us that there's actually another room uh, with a five-foot diameter hole or so. Uh, surrounding the, the hole is runes that translate, as Badgerback would find out, into Featherfall. So we kind of have this moment of, well, I mean... One way to find out, <laughs> Badgerback jumps in, and he slowly falls to the ground. Uh, Featherfall is cast upon him, essentially, as soon as he jumps in. We all follow him, uh, and the hole eventually leads into darkness. Um, let's see. It's like a 70-foot drop. And there's a corridor ahead of us once we're down there. We go into it, and on one side, there's a break in the wall, and it's a vault door. Um, Ted and Alicia push the door down, which is really impressive, because it's not even mm -hmm. like a, oh, push to hold it up, like Indiana Jones trap style. It's like, no, it's the opposite. And also, <laughs> we soon found out it was a 15-foot thick door. <laughs> like, yeah. They just were essentially like, hey, this hallway, it is revealed. <laughs> It is thick. <laughs> yeah, and so this uh, vault essentially reveals a small room. There's a jumble of humanoid skeletons and several items on a shelf in that room. And at this point, we're putting two and two together. Uh, the ancient wizards, essentially, that used to be in this place would conjure dangerous beasts in the pools above us because we did sense that the pools were magical of some sort of conjuration way. And they would view them from behind the one-way windows and if things went too south they would teleport to this safe room of sorts mm -hmm. so after kind of getting an idea of what this place was actually meant for we carry on uh there are stairs on the other side that leads into this uh medium-sized room however it's a fantastic room it's essentially it's painted ceiling to floor like space as in, like, outer space. Ah. Yeah, it's uh, dark, there's a void, and there's stars, and it's beautiful. <laughs> that Give was me me. real planetarium vibes, and I was here for it. Yeah, um, and in the center, there's a 10-foot diameter sphere that has carvings of mountains, rivers, oceans, and after looking at it for a moment, it's our planet. 
just well, what it was. Pathfinder planet. Like, yeah, 10,000 <laughs> years ago. Not Earth, but the the planet that Pathfinder kind of takes place on, mostly. Mm. Just 10,000 years ago. Uh, and below them, there's like rods holding up the sphere itself. And as Badgerback gets closer to it, he notices the underside of the globe looks hollow. Uh, he believes, after doing some magic wiggly-woo, um, that mm-hmm. the ancient wizards would use this globe as like a crystal ball of sorts. Uh, they would stand in the globe and they would cast their minds out to find creatures to summon. Badgerback tells us reluctantly that the magic is too faint for use. However, he sticks his head in it anyways. You know, just to give it a shot. What's the harm? Unbeknownst to the rest of us, uh, he tries to find Barry using clear audience and believe it or not it works he can so, hear so re- her voice <laughs> real quick this is a character that his character has been looking for for a really long time and mm. actually didn't even know if she was alive yeah yeah he had no idea but he he hears her voice very particular not able to hear about any words specifically but he does hear her he leaves the sphere, smile on his face, and the sphere crumbles, and Badgerback's hand is a seven-pointed star. Well, it has a seven-pointed star on it. Yeah. <laughs> so it didn't become one. That'd be no, cool, no. though. He yeah, in his hand is one. Uh, he's excited, and he also tells us that Barry is alive. <laughs> tells <laughs> us that she's the most amazing and beautiful gnome warrior anyone has ever met. And, well, we have the mark now, so we're very excited about that. He's very like, okay, fuck everything else. Let's go find Barry. But we're like, dude, priorities. Let's let's we will find Barry, but we'll get back to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay, I guess. Uh, we head back up. Thankfully, there's runes that allow us to levitate back up through that hole. Um, so instead of the feather fall, it's like the opposite. And as we go up the hole, we hear quite the commotion coming up from the pool area ahead of us. That's the way to say it. Uh, there are red, mant- ram- red mantis assassins are just swarming the place. Uh, they're currently fighting with Crojan and his gang. And wouldn't you know it, the shooty man is here too. Fucking shooty man. That shooty man. Uh, we join in the fight immediately without hesitation. We're like, fuck, I, fuck these guys. <laughs> I loved it because like uh, uh, Alicia bought like kicked down the door we were behind, went out and, and ran into battle. Ted went in, started fighting people, and, and, and Keisha runs out. And I, I was looking on Roll20, I'm like, he looks very kickable. So I run up to one dude and drop kick him into the water and then move into a flanking position on another Red Mantis. Mm-hmm. And that apparently did things, though. Yeah. <laughs> so... When we were first entering the room with the, the pools of water, um, our our DM, Wiz, was like, okay, you have to be kind of specific with this dungeon for me, if you will. Like, tell me when you're speaking in character and if you're doing particular things. And so earlier, Ted was like, oh, I'm going to tap the water. And she's like, how many times? <laughs> and yeah. us as players got nervous, but we're like, oh, he did it <laughs> twice. So Keisha knocks this man in the water. And he's like, swims up, spits out water, no big deal. Until he's dragged under the surface from something that breaches the water. And it's this large mass of just, like, elemental water tentacles. level tentacles, yeah, with, like, little hands at the end. Yeah, they're flailing and they're whipping at people. And we're like, that's a problem. 
We got red mantises. We need to figure this out and get out of here. Um, Ted takes down the guy with the gun. And in the middle Next of the fight... Next to Crojan. Yeah, Crojan, Crojan and Ted were both fighting on this guy, but Ted comes in, double hits him down, essentially, into just a pulp. Ritz on one of them. Yeah. Just does an insane amount of damage. Crojan just blood splatter on his face, gives Ted a nod of respect in the middle of the fight. <laughs> and, like... I'm 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 barding it up. I'm helping all of my allies, and that includes Crojan's yeah. people. And I have the chance to kind of peek out and look at this writhing mass of tentacles, and I'm like, okay, what the fuck is this? And so, putting three and three together beyond, you know, just the two and two, um, I kind of figure out that these things in the water is just only a small part of a Havaro. The water is a portal allowing this gargantuan, out-of-this-world creature to just, just reach through. So these, like, five different tentacles aren't five different creatures. This is all just one thing. So I'm, like, yelling out the door that Alicia kicked down. We need to take out the red assholes and book it. <laughs> we won't be able to take this thing down. So instead of going through the room with all the tentacles, I take the long way around and go through the one-way windows so I can still see our friends and provide them support. And I tell our witnesses, uh, if you recall from the last previously on, to come with me that way as well so they don't die. Yep. <laughs> Thankfully, they all follow, and I triple-time us so we can just get the hell out of there. And thankfully, because of you and, like, Sharondell helping out after he was pummeled against a wall thanks to a tentacle and Ted and Alicia you guys take down the assassins and get out of there when we get outside Crojan asks Ted his name and he's like Theodore and Crojan straight up says you've got balls Theodore <laughs> you took down the enemy of my people the Cinderlander and an enemy of my enemy is my Nahalarest so that was the word we were looking for. That was the word we were looking for. He didn't just call Ted his Nahalarest. He also said it in front of witnesses. I mentioned earlier that there are these yep. check marks of respect that we need to meet, and that was one of them. So we got two of them. Yep. In this game. So and... is it was a great moment. We we're like looking at each other, like hell yeah, that was really beneficial. Like we got a lot out of that, and we we're alive. <laughs> mm hmm. Not shortly after, I get a sending, and it's from Jordan. Back to the Future 2 style. <laughs> yeah. Jordan essentially tells us, hey, y'all really need to return to Corvosa. There's actually an opportunity to take our enemies down, like the Red Mantis Assassins and the Grey Maidens. Meet us in the Dead Warrens, and we'll tell, tell us you're ready, and we'll transport you there. So this is like, now. We gotta go. Now because we won't get this kind of opportunity again. Mm -hmm. So we tell the tribe witnesses, like, hey, meet us um, at the Flame Ford. We'll be back. We promise we have to go deal with our enemies. And they're mm -hmm. like, hell yeah, go do that. We'll meet you there. So we agree to, and I respond to Jordan like, yeah, we're ready. Let's go. And I notice a person pop out of nowhere, and it's Wiz. The character Wiz. Wiz's character, Wiz. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's essentially telling us, like, hey, I'm uh, outfitting this rebellion. So uh, I also brought a scroll. <laughs> and it's a scroll of teleport. 
So she's our ticket back home. And so we're able to go back to Corvosa and that's where we ended it. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to be getting back up to some city hijinks next game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was our games for this week. Um, if we don't want to just tell our stories on here, because don't get us wrong, we love talking about our games and whatnot. We, <laughs> we hope you enjoy listening too. But we want to tell some y'all stories as well. So if you got a story, uh, it can be like a whole session. It can just be a, a moment that happens, something that you want us to read on here. Uh, send it into difficultyclass at gmail You know, put uh, put previously on in the the title or whatnot. We we'd love to get some other people stories in here and and have a better storytelling community going on there oh my god yes i Uh, you know i love to read (laughs) yes and she's much better at it than me Uh, (laughs) send me your stories i will read them (laughs) yeah uh but yeah uh until next week uh tell stories i don't know we don't have an outro for this one yet (laughs) Just wanted to say really quick that the sound effects and music that you heard in this episode were from Sirenscape. You can check them out at www.sirenscape.com and find some really awesome sound effects for your game like this.